This is the Education Gadfly Show. Now, if, if you were Adele, you would not be giving this podcast away for free, would you? Uh, no, I'd have it on iTunes and you'd be paying at least $10. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Adele of Education Policy, Robert Pundicio. Hello. <laughs> wow! Amazing, Robert. That was so good. What, and we didn't even rehearse that in advance. You didn't know what was coming. Man, you have a teenage daughter, don't you? Uh, I do. That's I do. impressive. Actually, my, my wife is a bigger Adele fan than my teenage daughter. She supposedly has fans all across the, the generational she's, spectrum she's and otherwise. She's a pretty talented young lady. And is 25, is that referred to her age? I, I believe, see, this shows you my, yeah. I don't know how I know these things. Yeah. Pop culture yeah. is like, you know, secondhand smoke. You, yeah. you just, you just get exposed to it. She names her albums after her age when she records them. Yeah. So 21 was all about her bad breakup. Now she's 25 and yeah. she's still singing about that bad breakup, yeah. it sounds like, but, yeah. but now she's four years older. This seems to be a thing because was it Taylor Swift whose album was uh, after the year she was born? 1989. I'm like, all these people are just trying to all make me feel old. younger than us, Michael. That's yes, it. That Don't fight it. Is the bottom line. But, you know, if, if you were Adele, you would not be giving this podcast away for free. Would you? Uh, no, I'd have it on iTunes and you'd be paying at least $10. Exactly. Which we're thinking about doing at some point. We, uh, uh, we, really we, this, that, that we might. All right. Hey, uh, Robert, good to be on the show with you again. Uh, lots of excitement happening in the world of education reform, including ESEA. And yet, you know what? We're not even going to talk about ESEA today ESEA. because we've done talking about it. We like ESEA. We'll talk about it some more next week. Uh, looks like uh, the House may vote on it this week. Uh, it looks like it's going to happen. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? But what we are going to talk about. Adele was nine the last time ESEA was authorized. Uh, yes. Wow. Is that right? Well, she's 25 um, now, minus 15. So she's nine or 10. Well, 15, 14, 14 years. Okay. Right, 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 right. So yeah, I was going to do some common core math there, Robert, but I'm saying, okay. Hey, uh, because the reason we're not doing ESCA is because it is not central to Massachusetts. And this is a special <laughs> Massachusetts edition of the education gadfly what show. What are we thinking? We like themes around here. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, okay. So let's get started. Claire, let's play pardon the gadfly. <laughs> Earlier this month, the Massachusetts Board of Education voted to continue to use their own assessment with questions from PARC, rather than go whole hog with PARC itself. Does this mean that Common Core is on the ropes? <laughs> you know, oh, Audrey, Again. producer Audrey, can you re-clip in some things into this segment here, uh, you know, from, from the internet? Because I, I have a blog post up on this right now claiming that Common Core is not dead yet. And I could try to do the British accent, oh, pretend to be Monty Python. Bring out, you're dead. Yes. Okay. I'm not dead yet. Yeah, yeah. But see, it'd be better if we could do the clip. Uh, okay, insert clip here, Audrey. I'm not dead. Okay, there you go. We need a cowbell. Yeah, yeah. Or another way to say it is, is I also have the B in there staying alive staying alive uh, staying alive okay so you're, the point is me, uh you know I we got yourself uh, some personal. friends of ours including our good friend rick hess who once upon a time long time ago used to host uh, the podcast with me speaking of not giving stuff away for free anymore <laughs> rick hess uh he used to host the guy and and he has been writing that this massachusetts decision is just yet another 
blow. I think he said right. that he did a devastating blow. I think oh. he had in the National oh. Review for Common Core. Neil McCluskey says it's getting crushed. I mean, here we go. Getting so, crushed in forty some odd states. Still getting crushed in forty uh, odd states. And what, what I write say, is you, is look number one. The standards are still here. I mean, right. outside of Oklahoma, maybe South Carolina, right? Uh, they're still there. Yep. They might not be called Common Core. A few places have added some standards. Mm-hmm. There's some review processes. So far, they're still there. And even places where they've made tweaks. In most cases, they've become better. They, they've yeah. made improvements. Fine. Right. No problem. The whole goal was better standards. Another goal, better tests. Uh, what we've seen so far uh, looks pretty good. We'll know more in January when Fordham releases a big study mm-hmm. on these tests. What about cut scores? Cut scores are through the roof, Robert. I mean, we at, at Fordham were riled up about more than anything else, what we call the proficiency illusion, oh, right? Where states had these ridiculously low cut scores, mm-hmm. uh, telling parents that their kids are doing fine. Every state that has released uh, tests from last spring, except for our home state of Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, has been quite honest, uh, really putting their cut scores uh, pretty much at the same level as NAEP or close to it right. uh, in the ballpark of saying, you know, hey, we know about 35, 40% of kids in this country are college ready. And guess what? According to these state tests, especially in math, about 35 or 40% of kids right. are on track. That matches, uh, you know, so look on, on a lot of these different ways, uh, Common Core is alive and well. Now, the one area where it is not alive and well, though, is around comparability. Right. And this is where you and I disagree, I think, somewhat. Yes. Um, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm always going to be a little bit more focused on the instructional side of things than you are, I think. So I want that data. Okay. I want to be able to look at a, not, not just the state level, even district level. I want to be able to look at school level data, data and say, who's doing this good, better, and best. And you want to be able to do that nationally. Absolutely. And, and the issue here is, of course, that that park uh, is down to now seven states, that, right. that Massachusetts isn't going to use park whole hog, although it does look like they're going to use a lot of test items from yep. park. Maybe that the next version, what they do in Massachusetts, as they call it, MCAS 2.0, may look exactly the same as Park 1.0. Um, Louisiana, other states are now saying they're going to use questions from Park, uh, but it does cut against the argument that you're going to be able to directly compare the results from these sure. state tests. Of course, we lost that right out of the bat, Robert, yeah, yeah, because yeah. there was always going to be smarter balance plus Park. No, plus, we always knew that they were going to state some states were going to do their own thing. Right. What we maybe didn't know is that it was going to be half the states still doing their own thing on test which is what we have uh, coming up this spring. I think we're at about 22, 23 states doing park or smarter balanced. The rest are not. So, but I still don't get it. So, so what Robert? So you want to be able to compare a school in New York state to a school in Illinois. Why? Uh, because that's how the field advances. That's how we get better. It is how. Sure. But did well, you but play that out? Continue. Well, I, don't well, I mean, this is if you by use a medical what? by by if I have two different uh, populations and one's doing better than the other, I want to know what A is doing better than B. Yeah, but does it actually happen? I mean, I mean, you're saying no, what, it does this one because the conditions don't exist. This would enable uh, national studies to be able to use the same data sets and sure. to be able to. Of course. Uh, all right. I, look, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a deal breaker. I'm saying. Uh, it, it, it's important to me. It was one of the appeals of Common Core. You're absolutely right. We did did lose this one out of the out of the box. But I remember saying years ago, I would rather have 50 different st- sets of standards and one test mm. than than uh, one set of standards and 50 different tests. Well, because the, the test would be the real standard. All right, right. we will continue to disagree on this. Uh, and and by the way, you know th- this whole notion that Massachusetts is backing away from the Common Core is preposterous. But uh, <sighs> hey, that's all right. We're still friends. Uh, we still love you, Rick and Neil, and the rest of you people but but again we're not dead yet uh, but if you say it long enough eventually the sun will go out and we'll all be dead well 
Yes, that's true. Okay, topic number two. But that that's depressing, Robert. We got yeah, yeah. So the fatalism. All right. Yes. Governor Charlie Baker announced a new workforce skills initiative this week with a heavy focus on career and technical education. Are there lessons here for other states? Yes, here we are. Massachusetts Governor Charlie okay, Baker. In Massachusetts? I told you it was an all-Massachusetts edition, and we give him a hard time on Common Core because he is the guy who really forced them to not just use Park because he's got issues with it. He used to run the Pioneer Institute, but blah, 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 blah. Hey, on career and technical education, he is doing he's some right. good stuff. He's yeah. doing some great yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Massachusetts already, as in so many other areas, is a leader in career and technical education. They have these regional CTE schools that were, by the way, <coughs> partly improved by people like Sandra Stotsky, another person from the Common Core fight. Uh, these fantastic CTE schools that are now some of the highest performing schools mm-hmm. in Massachusetts uh, that are getting great results, not just on technical education, but also on the core academics, mm-hmm. uh, sending kids into pathways in higher education to do all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, and Charlie Baker's right, though. There's not enough of it. And when I look out there, Robert, and, and you say in a typical metro area, you know, what percentage of the seats are in CTE? You know, how many high schoolers are concentrating on CTE? It is diminishingly small. I was going to say, I, I should know the answer to that, but I don't. I, I think it's in the, I think it's probably in the neighborhood, depending on how you count it, of five or 10% wow. of the kids. Wow. Right? This is ridiculous at a time when, you know, at least 30 or 40% of the jobs out there are these middle skill jobs that sure. need some post-secondary, but not a four-year degree that need the technical oriented skills. And we have five or 10% of the kids going through them. Supposedly the rest are going through quote college prep, traditional mm-hmm. college prep. But as we know, a huge percentage of those kids are not graduating actually ready for college. Well, they're graduating. We just don't know what they're graduating to. Well, we do know they yeah. graduate to the community college where right. they end up in remedial education. And not taking a degree. And drop out with debt right. and regret. Right. So debt instead of regret. instead of majoring in debt and regret, they could be uh, doing CTE instead. There you go. No, I'm, I, look, you have been at the forefront of, of banging on this drum uh, with, among those of us in every form. So uh, keep on banging. All right. But let me try this on you, Robert. What have I said then? Okay. Uh let, let's then go to a given city. Uh, let's say you're, you're a wonderful city there in New York City. We say, you know what? In New York City, based on the economy, based on all kinds of factors, 80% of the kids in New York City in high school should be doing CTE. Mm, you know what, what kind of reaction would I get I'll then? Get, I'll tell you what reaction I would give you. I, I, I don't I like the idea of setting a, a quota, especially if, if I'm taking you literally, when you're, you want to base it on current economic conditions. Mm. Nah, I'm not, uh, you lose me right away on that. Mm. I, I think the traditional... Uh, resistance to this obviously has been uh, tracking. Whenever you say CTE, people yeah. hear tracking. Um, still don't think it's a bad idea. The bad idea is is when we decide what track kids go that's into. Right. That's fine. That's right. fine. Hey, here's a proposal, though. I think you should either have really high-quality CTE programs or really high-quality true college prep sure. programs and nothing else. Uh, none of these general, big, comprehensive schools that are not one nor the other. Yep. Okay, topic number three. Let me guess. Massachusetts. It is a college. uh, I'm sorry, a university in Massachusetts. In fact, a very famous one. Okay, go ahead, Clara. Holyoke. Robert. Harvard University recently launched a new teacher training program. Don't we already have enough teacher prep programs? Why is this one significant? Why is this one? I, I wrote this one to you, Robert, because I mean, don't we have enough? We've got 1,200 teacher prep programs out there. Like 1,199 of them suck. Uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not by much, right? Really? We need one more, huh? 
Huh? And you know the whole Daniel Patrick Moynihan line wasn't him? No, no, no. It was. Oh, I'd rather be. It was Bill Buckley. You're right. I'd rather be uh, governed by the first one thousand names right. in the right. in the Boston phone book. You really think the people at Harvard know anything about teaching? Wait, huh? There huh? was a piece. I love this. There was a piece in the Washington Post. Lindsay Layton, who we love. Um, noted that. Well, let me let me ask you: How much is this program costing? Did you notice this? I, I did not. And, um, and tell us a little bit about it. this. Is for undergrads or graduate students? Because of course Harvard has a graduate school of education. Always yes. has uh, without a and never has had a big focus on teaching per se, but on research and other things. I, I, I just like can't that. get past this one data point, and right. I swear it's going to just make okay. my head explode. So they're going to train twenty four teachers with private donations. How much money in private donations? How much? Eight. Million dollars. Wow. $750,000 per teacher. Are you serious? Look, it's right here in the Washington Post. Hmm. Thanks to $18 million from private donors who wish to remain anonymous. I would too if I were yeah. dumb spending that money. I know like maybe, that. maybe that's for multiple years. Maybe that that's several okay. cohorts. They're, no? It says uh, uh, about two dozen Harvard seniors will begin a three-year fellowship yeah. designed to combine pedagogy, blah, 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 blah. $18 million <laughs> yeah. for two dozen teachers. I need to find that fundraiser. Wow, oh, that is Lord. impressive. Can you imagine? Whew. All right. So uh, in all Schools seriousness, it is Harvard uh, and and a well-respected graduate school of education with a very well-respected dean that we like, well Jim Ryan. Today, uh, so what what do you think, though? What what uh, if they if they were to do this right, what would be different about this ed school program than the other ones? Boy, you know, I, I guess I uh, you're asking the wrong guy because I have kind of unorthodox views about this. Um my long-held belief is that we have to make teaching a job that can be done at a competent level by mere mortals. Why? Because that's who's in our classroom. Yeah. So, yeah, you could spend Harvard $18 million to create two dozen superstars. That's great. Now let's talk about the 3.7 million yeah. other non-superstars. Yeah. We have to make this a profession that ordinary people can do well. That's interesting. So even if Harvard comes up with a great program, you're saying it is not at all scalable or replicable right are you kidding me? because on the front end i mean right. first of all you got all this money right which other people don't have second of all you have harvard seniors yeah which are not exactly a representative sample uh they are they are not you know i mean look it shouldn't take 18 million dollars to turn a uh, two dozen harvard seniors into competent teachers uh say what you will about teach for america they do that in six weeks yeah. You know, at, at considerably less cost. Uh, so, no, I mean, I just I, I, I literally could not get past that figure. I don't care mm. what you're doing. If it takes that amount of money, this is not a serious model. Let me issue a challenge to Marty West, our friend at Harvard or anybody else there, at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. You're welcome to come on the podcast and make the case for why this is a good investment uh, of, of uh, 18 million dollars to come up with the Harvard superpower teacher. OK. Very nice. That is all the time we have for this week's edition of the special Massachusetts edition of the Education Gadfly Show. Uh, pardon the Gadfly uh, segment. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? I don't know. You're right. We should stop doing these themes. It's too complicated. But here's the good news, Robert and Clara. It is now time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. 
Amber, you are the one non-Massachusetts part of the show today. Everything else has been a Massachusetts focus, and yet, uh, yeah, Amber, Amber's from uh, North Carolina. Is that right? I taught in North Carolina. I always get it wrong. I know it's okay. I taught. I was in lived in Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Hampton Roads. That's right. You were on the Virginia Beach side, and then you taught in North Carolina. Yes. Uh, Oh, oh, by the way, Amber, uh, Adele was was a big focus of conversation earlier. Did you dad? Did you buy the album? I have not yet, but I have heard such great things, and I just think she can really sing, right? Like somebody with a real voice mm-hmm. finally that doesn't get up there in some little slinky outfit and just like <laughs> you know parade around. Like uh-huh. she has a voice, right? Yeah. No auto tune there, and it is so refreshing. I just, I just really, really like her. Excellent, I love yes. it. See, Robert, you should feel good about me being the Adele of education policy. <laughs> I, I, am I complaining? Yeah. It's the real deal. Right. I, I hope this podcast gets downloaded just as much. Okay. All right, Amber, what you got for us? All right, I'm going to give you guys a quiz because I got one of these studies as like a survey and it's got a bunch of little mm. factoids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, put, put your little student hat on. I'm ready. All right, we got a new report out that examines whether computer literacy is getting short shrift in America's schools. Oh, no. Yes. It's a topic. Gallup poll commissioned by Google. All right, so uh-huh. it's got a little, they got a little bit of... Can skin, I skin it, invested. Isn't in it this funny topic? that Google has to do a poll? I mean, they know everything about us already. I would think they could just mine it instead. Okay. All right. Yes. We're going to play along. The Bureau of Labor Statistics apparently estimates that jobs in computer and mathematical occupations will increase by 18% between 2012 and 2022, creating what they say will amount to 1.3 million job openings mm-hmm. in the computer science field. Okay. Okay. Um, so obviously, Google says, "Look, this is coming. We need kids that have strong computer science mm-hmm. literacy skills." All right. So they surveyed nationally representative samples of over sixteen hundred seventh to twelfth grade students, sixteen hundred parents of seventh to twelfth grade students, a thousand teachers, so on and so forth, principals, superintendents—you name it—they had the money to survey these populations. Okay. Mm-hmm. Key findings: Number one, where's our quiz? What? This is, this is the quiz right now. Oh, okay. All How right. many yeah. students report using computers every day at school? What percentage? How? Uh, out of 10. And out, uh, what grade are we talking about? 7 through 12. Sorry, 7 um, through 12. Using computers every day. Every day. Oh, okay. my God. Are y'all going to do this with every single one of these? Because 80%. Have I'm going to say 60%. If, you, if you'd said three times a week, I'd say darn near 100. 4 and 10, 40%. That's okay. it. That percentage obviously increases as students move up the grade level. So mm-hmm. about 31% say every day in grades seven and eight. By the time they get to high school, it's about 50%. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hispanic students are less likely than white or black students to use mm-hmm. computers at school daily. Mm-hmm. Okay. 75, next one coming up. 75% of Hispanic students have a computer at home that can be used to access the internet compared with 85% of black students and how many white students? <laughs> Got to be higher. So ninety-five percent, seven, ninety-eight. Ooh. Wow, that's high, isn't okay. it? Okay, it is. Um, yet nearly how many have a cell phone? This is all oh, students, goodness. no subgroups. How many all students overall have a cell phone or tablet they can use for internet access? I'm going to say 110 percent because some of them have two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Ninety percent, ninety-one. Very good. Like that's high, right? Right. 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 All right, moving right along. Which, by the way, does mean that they have a computer at school yes Look, I, I, well I, that's right as they're, you may know I, I teach at a charter school in Harlem fairly low income students there's yeah. not one single one of my students who I cannot assign online work to not one yeah. digital divide yeah. does, does practically not, does not, not exist there. yeah yeah right. and you could use them their phones for instructional purposes and, and, in the classroom and, potentially yeah I prefer if, not to but yeah. we'll talk oh, about that another right. time yeah. alright more than a third of students in 7th through 12th grade say their school does not offer a dedicated computer science class so now mm-hmm. we're getting away from access okay. and now talking about what the school offers yeah. that's a victory alright 
How many, what Robert. percentage of principals surveyed from schools that offer computer science classes say that AP courses in science, AP computer science courses are available at their school? So how many principals have a AP computer science course available at their school? Obviously, we're talking about high school. Uh, 25%. Mm, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. It's going to be a low number, 20%. Really good, 21%. Yeah. Okay. That was a very educated guess. However, the college... <laughs> Amber, we are supposed to be experts here. <laughs> I mean, come on. We're I'm just saying. Uh, College Board reports a 50% increase, by the way, in the number of students who took the AP computer science exam. So, But I, I remember, isn't there a stat that there's still, last year, there's still no African-American male yes, past right. the AP, AP computer, computer science not exam? Not, not a single one. Are you serious? In the whole know, really that country. Bad? Wow. All that's, right. that's wow. really bad. All right. What percentage of parents, yeah. this is, you know, sort of a bias question, whatever. What percent of parents say computer science is just as important to a student's future, future success as math, science, history, and English? What percentage just of parents? Oh, you know, 70%. No, I'm going to say it's 45. 64. Okay. Mike, so, eh, Price is right. He's like whipping up on Yeah, him. he is. That's All right. right. <laughs> what percentage of superintendents say the main reason their school doesn't offer computer science is that no teachers are available in their mm. district with the necessary schools skills mm. to teach it? Yeah, that's going to be high. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, 75%. 82. 73. Okay. All right. Just Why a couple, even ask just me? A, just, ask just a couple more. <laughs> I am good at this, aren't I? Uh, low income. This is not no one. Low income parents are more likely than high income parents to say that students should be required to learn computer science. That's just a factoid. Mm. And your last one. Uh, what is the main reason that school principals and superintendents say that they do not offer computer science? It, it's not the, the, the teacher skills. It's not the, I was going to no. say. It's just it's another to staff it. main re- Think about John. Mm. You think about what's going on right now. Right. Oh, just because of the demands of testing and, and whatnot. Bingo. Sure. It's focusing on testing is just the main reason that they, they right. don't spend more time on it. Hey, I got one so. that Mike didn't get. All right. Hey, you, you know, that was a little bit more interesting yeah. than a quiz, yeah. right? Interesting. So, it I mean, was. I, well done. I just wonder whether parents, I mean, you know, people just think, oh, the kids just pick it up by osmosis, you know, because they're online all well, the time. Well, sure, using a computer. Yeah, I mean, but this is like programming. They, right. they went to pains to describe what a computer rest. science course yeah. is. Yeah. Right. That's I'm worried about how much of the, what we have in schools right now, and I look, I'm completely out of my depth on this. I don't, I couldn't code at gunpoint. Um, but I do worry uh, that, that we're doing this as kind of a, a, a parlor trick more than a serious mm-hmm. course of study. In other words, mm-hmm. just because schools are, quote, I'm making air quotes, Offering coding or computer science, mm-hmm. how rigorous is, how serious is it? No, and this, and you're coming from New York where de Blasio says everybody's going to do this right. coding. And I look in the younger grades, I think that that probably is true, but aiming to get a lot more kids ready for, you know, AP computer science in high school, I think is a legitimate goal. Absolutely. <laughs> and here's the thing, right? Is that this intersects with our, what we've been saying on high achieving kids, especially high achieving low income kids, mm-hmm. that what you need to do is start as early as possible, making sure that, that those kids have access to rigorous math programs to gifted and talented to ability grouping to tracking you know that uh, that where you know what what keeps tripping us up is that in many cities uh, you talk about that and people go bananas mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so the the you know the low income kids who show some promise on mathematics don't get access to that stuff out in the suburbs the white kids still sure. do uh, and they're still you know getting started in a pipeline that will result in them being ready for AP computer science by the 12th grade yeah, yeah. my only question to the the folks at Google who came up with the survey is to what degree is this a problem in search of 
uh, solution, so to speak. In other words, if we have a robust STEM program, mm-hmm. is that not all the preparation uh, a, a average to above average student would need to prepare for a career in computer yeah. sciences? I mean, I, I think it's a legitimate question. I mean, when yeah. I but think, we don't have that. Yeah, so. well, we don't have that either, right? And but I'm just thinking, like, honestly, what do we do around here? We have how long have we looked for a really good web designer and a? I mean, like that's a hugely good sure. like good skill, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and I just think about like, and these people make a, a ton of money. Remember last time we put an mm-hmm. external contractor out for our website, mm-hmm. and we were like, "Holy cow! <laughs> I want that job." What are these people doing for sure. in an hour? You yeah. know, but because we don't know what they're doing in an hour, we're paying them. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> That's true. Exactly right. <laughs> I did just learn how to embed a GIF in, in a tweet, though. So I'm you didn't learn how to say GIF, which is the proper. <laughs> well, we know there's a debate about that. That's right. Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's a black box, I think, to a sure lot is. of us, and, yeah. and and wow, we really should know more about we it. We should indeed. All right, thank you, Amber. That was fun and enlightening, and always a pleasure, Robert. Until next week, I'm Robert Pondicio, and I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute's Education Gadfly Show. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.